0: And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It would be easy, simple, uh, to pass over the ascension of our Lord uh, and jump right into Pentecost, especially since uh, that seems to be where the action picks up again. Uh, It may be the cosmology that we have here is embarrassing. Uh, even the epistle and the gospel for Sunday after the ascension direct our attention not to our Lord's rather obvious return to his Father in heaven, but to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. After all uh, his departure, his going away, uh, as, it is, uh, as John puts it in his gospel was a natural unfolding of the story's plot. Uh, we've seen over and over again these last few Sundays after Easter uh, that our Lord was raised materially uh, from the dead. And Luke is careful to point out to his readers uh, more than one time that Jesus presented himself to his disciples after his resurrection and continued to do so and continued to teach his disciples right up until the day that he was taken up. Now, that's a phrase that Luke is using. According to Luke's account in Acts, at the end of that period, uh, Jesus and his disciples once again gathered together at uh, Mount Olivet one last time. The word that Luke uses uh, here, uh, that we have translated "come together," literally means literally means sharing salt, uh, which suggests to my mind anyway, uh, that they were sharing one last meal together. Uh, Not unlike the picnic, Uh, not that yesterday was last meal, but not unlike the picnic we had yesterday, Uh, people coming together for a special event like that. Uh, And in fact, the Aramaic verb uh, uh, for eating, uh, salt, had come to mean simply eating together. I had thought about that before, that Olivet, uh, they uh, shared, not only departed, but they, they, they shared a meal together as well. Uh, and that is certainly consistent, isn't it, with what Luke says, uh, that over this 40-day period, he showed himself to his disciples and offered proofs, again, the word that Luke uses, proofs of his corporeality after his resurrection. Now, now at this point, uh, you can see in your mind's eyes them standing together outside of Jerusalem Jesus commissioned them to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until the paraclete the Comforter is come upon them and then right before their eyes he's simply taken up until a cloud receives him out of their sight and he's gone they see him uh, no more and thus this, this is what the church calls the Ascension Uh They were awestruck. Ascensions don't occur every day. They stood there apparently gawking with their mouths open uh, until two men in white, according to Luke, uh, addressed them, two men who were standing there, and uh, uh, said, uh, "'Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the heavens, uh, "'the same Jesus that you have seen ascend "'will also in like way descend uh, from heaven.'" Uh, Christ was taken out of their sight. That is, the resurrected Jesus would no longer be empirically available as he had been post-resurrection because he is returning to his Father, uh, the abode of the Blessed Trinity, which is higher, metaphorically too, uh, than this space-time continuum that we inhabit. Throughout the last discourse... Uh, Presumably during uh, and presumably during his post-resurrection appearances, our Lord prepared his disciples with language that you've heard over and over again. A little while and I am with you, uh, and, and and then a little while and you shall not see me, and again a little while you shall see me because I go to the Father. Jesus said, "Now I go my way to Him that sent me. I came forth from the Father." and I'm coming to the world again, i leave the world and go to the Father. So we have this theme over and over again in his teaching, uh, his apostles. Now I want you to think about something. I want to think about the implications of Jesus' return to his Father, implications for creation, and implications specifically for us, for humankind. First of all, the first thing to realize is that the ascension did not bring an end to the incarnation. Right? did not bring an end to the incarnation. Jesus did not shed his humanity uh, when he ascended uh, into heaven. Uh, His humanity was taken with him. The incarnation is a permanent state of being of the uncreated Son of God. The subject, the person of Jesus Christ has two natures, true God, true man. Jesus is not two persons. He's one person, one person. Human divine person, Jesus Christ is not only one person. Uh, Jesus Christ is only one person, but that one person, that one subject, has uh, uh, two natures: one human, perfectly human, whole and undil- undiluted by his divinity, and his divinity, his divine nature, wholly undiluted. By his humanity in other words Jesus is, is not a hybrid of divinity he's not a third thing he's not a hybrid of divinity and humanity nor did Jesus's divine nature swallow up uh, his true humanity such that it doesn't any, no longer exists that's not the case as well are you with me you need a coffee break <laughs> okay you should have had the coffee before you came in in other words uh, Uh, This is, uh, the Son of God esteems the integrity of human nature. Uh, And that's important today. Uh, It's important uh, because uh, this event, uh, what we have in this event is, there is one human being who has died and now has been raised from the dead eternally, never to die again. That's happened one time. And that's with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that that's happened. Uh, And that means, what that means is that human nature is such that it may be joined to God's nature. It is such that it is capable of being raised from the dead uh, and then to participate in the divine life. That's what we know because because of the ascension. Jesus Christ is one person who subsists in two natures. Now... The person, the subject of the two natures, listen to what I'm saying. The person is not a creature. The person, the subject did not come into existence at the incarnation. And so who is the person of Jesus Christ? The person of Jesus Christ is none other than the logos, the eternally begotten word, the son of God. There's never a time when he did not exist. However... There was a time when his humanity did not exist that came to existence at a specific time, specific place, that time being when Tiberius ruled, that place being the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He became flesh of the Holy Ghost by Mary. Uh, And the fact that that could happen uh, is very big news indeed. Now what it means is that there is, a, there is a fundamental compatibility between the creature and his creation. It means that the uncreated world of the Father has become the subject, the person of a human nature by assuming it into his life and making its own without destroying it and altering it. And that's an important piece of this. He's become the person uh, who has a human nature, God has a true human nature, and and He has that human nature such that the human nature is not changed into something else. This is important for us, uh, as well eschatologically. When we go to heaven, we're not going to be turned into angels. I mean, that's part of what that means. All of this was done for us men and for our salvation. If, to cite the Nicene Creed, and what you need to understand. What I want you to understand is that salvation does not mean merely an escape from death or hell, uh, nor is salvation a matter of changing or altering human nature into something other than human nature. Salvation does not mean that we become hybrids of God and man. By assuming our humanity, our Lord did not change human nature into something else; He perfected it, and that perfection is not that perfection is not merely a moral perfection. This is where we always go with it. Because that's, that's a natural thing for us to do is to go to the morality of, of this because that's easier for us to grasp. But it's more than that. It is absolutely uh, true that conforming our behavior to the model of Jesus Christ is necessary to follow him. But that's not the end game. The end game, the perfection of our nature, which is an action of grace, is participation in the life of God. It is, that is the end game. End game. The vision of God, the beatific vision, seeing God himself in all of his beauty and infinity in a manner of speaking through his own eyes. That's our telos, our destiny, and that is our common vocation. Uh, in this, Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He has demonstrated by his incarnation that human nature is open to God and open to being assumed by God, capable of participating in, in his life. So you remember this heard it a hundred times or more and we'll hear, you'll hear it more in the future too. Grace does not destroy nature grace perfects nature grace perfects nature it doesn't destroy nature and a formula that I have used that helps me think about this the creator entered into the life of his creation right? As a creature, right? The creator entered into the life of his creation as a creature so that the creature may enter into the uncreated life of the creator. That's our destiny. That's the telos. That's why we exist. That's what we're moving for. That's the whole message in a nutshell. Now, in light of this, I want to look at the text for this, sur- for this Sunday, which means I'm, that's how, that was introduction. Uh, right. You know, I'm not kidding. No, I am kidding. Except we are going to look at the text for this Sunday. And I, I just want to make one point. Uh, it's going to take a minute to do that, but uh, one point. What I, what I want you to see is this is that the witness of the paraclete or the witness of the spirit involves our giving voice to the spirit which is the same as our giving voice to Jesus himself. The voice of Jesus is the voice of the spirit and the voice of the spirit is the voice of his disciples, is the voice of his church. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doth God service. These things will they do unto you, because they have, known, uh, they have not known the Father nor me. The paraclete will bear witness to the truth of Jesus' life and the world, word, and deed. And this is happening now. This is what's happening then, and it continues to happen. Uh, through, through, as the years roll on, the paraclete will bear witness that Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of God. The world has rejected Jesus. That's a fact. The world rejected Jesus then, and the world continues to reject Jesus. This is the constant theme in the Sundays following Easter, and especially in the final discourse. The world does not know God. The world has rejected God and His offer for life. He was in the world. Uh, The world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came to his own and his own received him not. The world will treat his disciples, the world will treat Jesus' disciples just like they treated him. The beloved disciple presents a narrative in which the Christian community is to be locked in mortal combat with the world. That is the state of being. That is what it is. And there, there's an evil alliance uh, between the world and, and, and even uh, between religious authorities, religious communions today. I've said this before and, and I know you realize it already that this wor- listen to what I'm saying, this world is not evil. So, it sounds like I'm contradicting what I just said, but I'm not. The world itself, this world, is not evil in itself. God created it and declared it to be good. What makes it evil is what is missing. God has offered the world the possibility of participating in His life through Jesus Christ and the world has declined that offer. Israel declined that offer. Today much if not most of what used to be the Church of Christ declined that offer. In light of that rejection, the world and her, her tame religious institutions have been shaped and continue to be shaped by a consuming obsession with what is here below, what is right now. It's an obsession, uh, it's an obsession with this space-time continuum and a forgetfulness of heaven it's a forgetfulness of heaven and it's a locked in obsession with what is here below So, participation in the life of God is rejected and a passion driven by self-interest compels man to strike out against Jesus even uh, even as Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and Jesus strikes out against Jesus by striking out against his disciples the world is passing away, though St. Paul says the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. The Paraclete. This is the last paragraph. The paraclete indwells the church and indwells each disciple. It is the church and the disciple who gives voice to the Holy Spirit's witness, making his witness their own witness. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus present to the world, the disciples give voice to the Holy Spirit who indwells us. By hating us, who are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the world continues to strike out against Jesus. But we, together, you, I, the church, our parents, our grandparents, our friends, our family, our children, the church, the bride of Christ, represent Jesus. We stand in for Jesus' contramundum.